Welcome to Dear Reading Teacher, a podcast to empower parents who want to teach their child to read and help you better navigate the early reading landscape today. I am your host and your reading teacher, Elizabeth Ford. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope today's episode with my guest and children's author, Dr. Janae Brown-Wood, gives you the confidence to teach your child to read. This is episode nine, Early Language Sets the Stage for Literacy. Janae, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Wonderful. Where are you coming from today? I am coming from Sacramento, California, where, you know, it's it's not actually like sunny and bright right now. It's kind of rainy and chilly, but California nonetheless. I love that you own that <laughs> the weather is not as bright as it could be and what people think for California, but yep. it's still California. It's in the northern part, right? It's interesting. It's sort it's of, of central, central northern. I think okay. when people think about Sacramento, they think it's like up north. It's not. It's sort of right in the middle north. Okay. Central. Awesome. All right. What role brought you to the world of reading instruction? Well, I, as a young child, I, I actually really disliked reading. And I think a lot of that had to do with not being able to find myself on the pages of books. Like I couldn't find books that looked like me. And so at a young age, instead of looking for books to read, I wrote, I wrote my own stories. I wrote myself into my own stories. And I bring that up because I feel like that has informed so much of the work that I do now as a children's author, as an educator, as an advocate for literacy, because I'm always talking about the importance of diversity. And so what brought me to this role is reflecting back on not loving to read, but also also reflecting back on learning about the academic achievement gap, also called the educational debt, which shows that children of color tend to perform less well than their white counterparts when it comes to things like uh, academic achievement, standardized tests. So all of those things combined brought me to this work because I believe literacy is key. Building strong and early literacy skills helps students academically, social and emotionally, and will then help them to build strong skills across their lives that they can utilize in careers that they love. So, so that's a long answer to what brought me to being an advocate for literacy, because I just feel like those skills are so important. And the earlier we can ingrain those skills in children, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you didn't enjoy reading and now you're a children's author. And I think (laughs) that means you have a mission, right? Like you, it's not because you just enjoyed it and you wanted to keep doing it from childhood, you know, like never grow up, but you, you have a mission. And I think that's beautiful. That's so so true. I'll, I call it a purpose. Like it's a purpose. Mm -hmm. It gets me up every day and it just energizes me in this work. So yeah. I can connect to that. I think that, you know, when I first started as a educator, I had students that I thought I was going to be teaching and I, I did get to teach um, students with disabilities. That's who I thought I was going to teach. But um, I kind of, through my dyslexia training, stumbled into um, 
just really focusing on reading, right? Like I thought yeah. dyslexia training was like an add-on that I would just support when I had the students that needed it. But I think I've recognized what you have recognized um, in a different way, um, yeah. but that literacy is so foundational to so many things our children need to succeed in life. Um, and now as a dyslexia tutor, I have taught adults who struggled with reading their whole life mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to see, you know, the pain and the emotional um, trauma Someone. they bring to our lessons and to life and to decisions like a student of mine that was buying a home and just every document was so traumatic. And even though I had tutored this adult and she could read, it's, it was still just the lack of confidence and years Mm -hmm. of that um, from struggling with reading. And so going backwards in time and wanting to address, you know, the things children need before they get to that. And so I feel that I feel like I have a mission now that, um, has totally changed um, as an educator. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I really appreciate what you're saying. It's triggering. It's triggering, it's triggering, it's triggering to, to have to, to like use these skills that everyone just assumes you're able to do, read, write, spell, but you never had the opportunity to build those skills. And then it starts to impact your confidence, the way you see yourself. And I mean, you hit on it. I feel like you hit it right on the nose. These important life decisions that you have to make as an adult, like buying a house and a contract. I'm a really good reader and I'll look at those contracts and still be like, wait, what? I don't know what this means. And I mean, I have a PhD and strong literacy skills, so I can just imagine for someone who's been struggling with reading and comprehension, how daunting of a task that is. But even other things to just be an advocate for themselves and their children, if they don't have those skills. So, so building them early and and I also feel like for adults who might be struggling with reading, there's no time like the present. Like yeah. you can learn now. You can build those networks now so that you can develop those skills. Absolutely. And I say this to also parents who maybe didn't have like a strong of a aversion to reading or struggle with reading, um, that even if you just didn't like it um, growing up or you don't remember how to um how you learn how to read that um, it is something that I think parents need to be active in and not just rely on schools to teach their kid and not be afraid to confront those fears. Cause I felt that, you know, even like when I've gone to the dentist or the doctors yeah. and I know they have expertise that I don't have, but like, that doesn't mean I am not active team member and those, you know, those appointments when we're making decisions about my child, right? Whether it's reading yeah. or healthcare decisions. That's key. And here's a kind of, I think it's shifting somewhat, but kind of a scary fact. Even for some teachers, they never were taught the me- mechanisms, the you know neurological foundations around reading. So even some teachers don't know what what the brain brain is doing to allow for reading, which then informs their pedagogy and their practices and the things that they do in the classroom with children. So, and this is, you know, individuals who get credentials and things that they never had the opportunity to learn that information. 
And for many of them, it's trial and error, and then they figure it out. And others, you know, continue to struggle with like, why is it that my kids are not learning to read? And when we look at look at the literacy rates across this country, it's kind of bleak. There's a large number of kids who are not even at the basic level for reading. They're below basic. Like the numbers are pretty astronomical, which then again speaks to like the need for solid literacy instruction for adults. Um, and so this idea of parents learning that too would be so important as well, because then they can be implementing those, some of those strategies or at least foundational strategies that then leads up to those later, more complex literacy skills. So it's, it's a team effort. It's, it's the teachers, it's the parents, it's everybody coming together to, to again, help build those strong foundations for kids. Yeah. But to go to your current role, at, you know, your educator as well, so we can talk about this forever. But as a children's author, I think that um, what you said about not seeing yourself in books. So, like, where's the motivation to read if you're not having access to books or access to books that motivate you and interest you and um, you can relate to? Um, and I think all of those things, not one over the other, right? Um, all of those things are the key components um, that can help our literacy rates, right? We can't just address, you know, like the instruction, which is totally important, but also like, where are the books? Yeah. Where are they? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like if you don't take your kids to the library, are we selling them to kids anymore? I don't see... You know, things like yeah. the reading rainbow or I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? This is not like a planned question, Janae, but like what yeah. are your thoughts on like the lack of, I guess, we sell kids toys, we sell them music, we sell them so many things, but I feel like where's the advertising on books? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that? Yeah. The materials that are available to teachers, to families, it's so important. It's so important because that ends up being like a gateway. That's what I think of it. If you can find books that interest kids, that becomes a gateway into literacy because then they find a book that they're interested in reading about. They're strengthening their literacy skills because they're using them to read that book. Parents can engage with conversations with them surrounding those books. And then they want more. They want to do it more. And they're building positive associations around literacy. Now, as far as what, like, what are we doing about getting kids excited about books or giving them access to those materials? I've seen some things happening. I've seen some things happening. For example, um, what is it? Dolly Parton's. I should know what this is called, like imagination. The imagination library. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is a great yes, example of we're getting books, books, we're putting them in kids' hands. Um, and so I don't know what the process so is as far as book selection, but my hope is that it's intentional and it's incorporating quality books and it's incorporating diverse books as well to validate various experiences of the children who live across this country. So you see it in things like that. I think also you see, for example, um, books that become movies. And so maybe, maybe the kid sees a movie and it's like, oh, and then you have an interest. I'm going to be honest. That was kind of, this is so bizarre, but that's kind of what got me into reading. So 
I hated reading, hating, hated, all the way through adolescence, hated it. Um, I got to college and you have to read, like you can't not read your textbooks if you want to be successful. So I was already getting back into the groove of reading. My little sister, um, she was like, you got to read this book called Harry Potter. And I looked at the size and I was like, girl, I am not reading that. Nah, like next. So it was not until we went and saw Prisoner of Azkaban, which was book number three. And I watched the movie and I was like, oh. Is, is is this this, is this is Harry Potter? Potter? And that, that is what, is what led, led me to pick up book one and then become like a diehard die like Potterhead Potter and love me some Harry Potter. Potter. So, so that's, that's an example, example of, of okay, okay, well, well for, for me in that, that case, case, it was, it the, was the movie, movie first. first. Mm-hmm. And then you can have really interesting conversations with kids. Like maybe they watch the movie and then you read the book and you can have like a compare and contrast. What were some things that were different in the movie compared to the book? And all of those are important skills for literacy. Like we haven't really talked about oral language and conversation and discourse. Those are also things needed to set the the stage for strong literacy skills. So I guess what I'm saying is like, we could do better. There are things that are out there like Dolly Parton and the the work of librarians. Librarians are doing amazing work in the community, trying to get kids in the doors and get them excited about books, programming that they offer. Yes. Um, And then other things that might might feel like a stretch, like a movie. But if you kind of shift your paradigm about, hey, this is just the first step. Now let's move to the book. That can also help with that. Yeah, I love that you brought up the movie because it's exactly how it got my child to read chapter Mm. books. Mm. She was Mm. like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) That's too much, right? Like the Harry Potter, it's Mm -hmm. too much physically to see that many pages. But we watched enough movies where I was like, this is a real book. And she's like, really? Well, now I want to read the book. I want to compare. And it was, I think, The Borrowers. Um, Mm. Have you seen that? It's so long. It's like long ago. It is like five book series. And she's on like the third book out of five. And I was bored. I was bored (laughs) after the first book. But we watched the movie first and she was engaged. So... I yeah. think you're you're on the money that we have to find creative ways if we don't mm-hmm. have Reading Rainbow. Reading Rainbow was so great, though. Right. Um, but there are things like Imagination Library, which did help with my child. I signed up mm. for that. We had that in D.C. where we lived at the time. And um, they do have diverse books. I don't know their selection mm-hmm. process either, but I had there was diversity in characters. I, I I could see more diversity. It's America in it, but there was right. diversity. and. Um, I do believe that in some areas she offers, the Imagination Library offers um, Spanish language um, Oh, program, fantastic. Right? Like yeah. all the books are either bilingual or in Spanish. So I think mm-hmm. that's beautiful as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think we could do better as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like there's so many children's authors and books that are coming out in the last five years, or maybe I'm just like more aware um, than I've ever seen before. Like, it's just like a, it's like a boom of like children's literature that is hitting on some really great topics. But when I try to find them, I'm like, oh, they're so expensive and I want all of them. And so I'm, I'm just hoping that libraries are getting budgets for all these amazing books. Cause I see like a lot of the same books. 
Sure. It's an interesting time. Yeah. It's an interesting time because I feel like over the last five years, 10 years, you know, um, there is a, an organization, I think they changed their name, so I might butcher it, but I, I remember them being the Cooperative Children's Book Center out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And maybe you're familiar with them, but they were the ones who would collect large numbers of books and then start to categorize them. And from that, they were able to like determine the percentage of books that featured protagonists of color compared to white characters. And so these so were, were, I mean, this, I, mean, this is, I think there were similar, similar things that were happening before, but they, I feel like they really shined a light on it. So each year they would put out these graphics that show, you know, how many books published were featured African-American characters, 3% compared to 93% for white. And so they kept doing that and expanding. Now I think they also include things like, um, if I the think I do know what you're talking about. You now probably you're describing have seen it, them. Yeah. or yeah. versions of it. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Now, now they'll include things like uh, characters with disabilities, LGBTQ, you know, I plus, and but and they, they shine this, this light, light, and it, and it caught wind, wind, and people were showing these graphics of like, like look how few books, books are being published, published. right? And, and I, I think. think I think uh, publishers were listening, and like these other places were listening, and so. I'm not gonna say good to know this that was background. the whole reason. Right. Yeah, and I'm not saying this is the whole reason, but I really feel like that's this is a part of the reason why we were having more of these pushes. Um, because the data shows data. That's a lack of diversity. So what are we gonna do about it? So again, we still got a long way to go. Progress is slow. Um, and sometimes when it comes to like diversity in books, sometimes it feels like progress goes backwards like things like book bannies that happen that might speak to why it's hard for you to find some of these books in in certain spaces because of the you know the political environment that surrounds this but it's like it's a important fight and I just feel like so many people are joining in with this advocacy and pushing for diverse books because we all know the importance of it um and children deserve, children deserve to see themselves, themselves on the pages of books in validating ways. Like that point blank. Point that blank. is, that, that is, is it. It's, it's like mic drop. drop. Yeah. Nothing more to say because, you know, everyone deserves that. So. Everyone does deserve that. And I want to move on to talk about your work in child development and your thoughts there. But I just want to yeah. put a pin into this last thought um, because I was leading a co-op, especially that was during COVID and it was small, but it was diverse. I thought until one of my co-op parents, though I was like the leader and it was at my house, um, was like, oh, what do you think about, you know, children's books that introduce topics that are about like, you know, people's um, sexuality in terms of like Mm. their being gay or, um, transgender and um, she this parent um, I guess basically was trying to communicate like don't read those books to my child <laughs> because I have some on my bookshelf and so she probably you know I said book shopping in the library was a thing we did in our co-op in my library but um, mm-hmm. I think she had seen some of those books and so I I do think that these are conversations that are going to keep happening and they're happening in the big, you know, arenas, but also in people's homes. Mm. Um, And 
you know, I think I'm glad you made that connection because I didn't think I made that connection. I was just like, these books are expensive and I want to read all of them, but they're not at the libraries. Why not? Now I'm getting it. I'm Mm -hmm. getting it. And and this was before, I feel like in the beginning of COVID, um, the book bans weren't as serious and um, lengthy, lengthy lists of banned books. But um, I guess it's all happening because of, like you said, people recognizing that there was a lack, people then filling in the need. Now that there is all these resources, people now trying to, you know, stop it because um, they weren't in existence before these resources. So that's, that's interesting. And I'm just like, it's an uphill battle. yeah, I just it's connected it to battle. a personal experience. I was like, Oh my God. Oh, okay. Yeah. I get it. Um, and I get how hard that can be because, you know, I wanted to stay in a positive relationship with that parent, um, and respect her child's, you know, how she wanted to raise her child, but at the same time, wanting my child to have, um, this conversation with her peers as well. And not just always with me, because that's a very isolated conversation because I'm, I'm not that person that's experienced everything. And I want her to have other people's opinions, but that is a hard line. Um, I, I think that, um, we have to deal with now because we got resources. Um, but I'm happy for the resources. I'm the one that wants to buy all of the books. All right. So um, if you could talk to parents about child development, what would you want to share? Like, what do you think are the priority mm. topics? Mm. Yes. Brain, Brain development. Like, I yes. can It's that I, I, just, I just... This, this piece, piece is so, is so important. important. And I mean... This was one of the things I loved teaching to my students. Like, what is brain development and what does it look like and how do you support it? That's the piece. How do you support it? And it spans all of these different domains. So I know we're talking about literacy and I want to, I'll, I'll use that one as an example. But having interactions with your child, authentic face-to-face meaningful interactions helps to set the foundation for strong brain development. And this this is like like from birth birth on, some Some people might do this with, you know, child and womb and interacting with child, but let's let's just say birth birth on, you're talking to your child, you're singing to them, you're making eye contact. I remember, um, I remember a parent saying to me one time, I think this was like years and years ago when I would say, well, do you talk to your baby? And their answer would be like, no, they can't talk back. And it's like, oh. Wait, wait, let's discuss this. Just because your infant cannot verbalize, right, cannot produce words yet, that does not mean they're not communicating. And that definitely does not mean that their brain is not picking up language that's setting these strong foundations. It's like when I talk to my students about this, I say, you know, think, I think of the like neurons, right? These are um, nerve cells, brain, brain cells. And I always always told them they kind of remind me of hands. You've got like your dendrites. And when you have something in the environment that activates them, then they start to get really close to each other and they start to build those connections. And the more and more and more you're activating those connections, the stronger and stronger and stronger those connections get, the more efficient they are. And then, you know, these um, behaviors that you have become automatic because now they're so strong. 
And this and is the same, same thing, thing for language. language. You're talking to your child. Yes, maybe your child can't respond back yet with words, but they might communicate with eye contact or they might, you know, infants, you know, when they get excited, they start like kicking their legs and that's communication. And so you're building those, that important brain development that sets the stage for everything else. So when you're singing and you're talking to kids and you're having conversations, even if they're one-sided, and you're labeling everything you're doing. I, I'm thinking about like when I was a priest, uh, an infant toddler teacher, and it was diaper time. And I would go over and I say, okay, I'm going to pick you up. It's diaper time. I'm going to pick you up. All right, I'm picking you up. I'm putting you on the table. This is your diaper. I'm taking the tape off. And I like talked through every single thing that I did with this baby. Because I knew that this is what the brain needs. To, to build those, to build those connections. connections. So, you know, so, when I think about, know, I again, about, again uh, child, uh, development, child development, I think let's start with brain development and think about having warm, warm loving interactions with children helps to set this important foundation. The other thing I'll hit on is the social emotional piece. Remembering that kids don't come out knowing what emotions are or knowing how to handle emotions. So it becomes our job as the adults in their lives to help them label those emotions and then to help offer appropriate ways to handle those emotions. So, you know, um, Bobby's playing with the toy. Susie comes over, snatches the toy. Bobby's reaction is to hit. Whoa, let's talk about this. Bobby, you're feeling upset right now. Let's talk about this. She took your toy. You didn't like that. Well, what can we do? Right? So you're like... You're, you're identifying emotions, you're um, providing appropriate ways to handle that. And that I think is key because, I mean, let's be real. There's plenty of adults who have a difficult time regulating their emotions, who have a difficult time identifying their own emotions and then handling them in a, in a uh, effective way. So I think just to start off, those are two things I would, I, I always loved teaching about brain development and activating that brain early to support all other skills and the importance of social emotional learning, remembering kids don't know what emotions are and it's our job to teach them and then teach them how to handle them appropriately. I would love to co-teach with you, Dr. Janae Brownwood, <laughs> because I am the exact same way. I actually have this tool that I use that I didn't create, but um, have you heard of Class Dojo? No, I don't know that one. Class Dojo is, um, most people know it as like a point system. Like you give kids wow. positive points and you're not really supposed to give them a lot of negative points, but they exist there. Um, and it's like this um, app that teachers use to communicate with parents how their students are doing instead of like mm. the color coding system from yeah. Dave, you remember that? Yeah, or I the do frowny face and the smiley face, whatever folder system you sent home. I remember stuffing folders too, guys. Oh my goodness. Um, but now we have just <laughs> no communication. And Class Dojo is one way to do that and to track. And it's like a way to track data. I love it. I use it for so many things, like not just for giving kids points, but to track like what we're doing as a class because it has like graphs and stuff. So you can talk to kids Ooh. about patterns of behavior. Yeah, I love data. Interesting. I love it. But then they have this other thing called classdojo.com slash big, or that's the link, classdojo.com slash big idea. So I've highlighted it on social media before, but I think I should, again, because you're right. 
I think that a lot of times when people are teaching early readers or struggling readers, they get very frustrated easily and the children also get frustrated and then they're thinking that things are not working out because of things that are actually have nothing to do with why they're not working out. It's a lack of understanding of basically having a growth mindset, right? Understanding how their brain works. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they have Mm -hmm. a series on growth mindset. It's like these two minute videos or three minute videos with these cute cartoon characters from the app. So the kids are familiar with these characters, these avatar characters, and they have these like, you know, experiences like Mojo wants to like, give up on math because suddenly one day it gets Mm. hard. And so he learns that his brain is a muscle. He has to exercise it by doing hard things. Now, I don't think they stress the hard things enough. I'm like, he didn't say do easy things. You already know (laughs) how to do the easy things, right? Um, Or you didn't need teaching. If it was natural for you, it was instinctual, or you watched it enough. But if you're learning and it's hard, then that's growth. And they have like an episode on the neurons and the neurons Mm. connecting. And so Mm -hmm. I always watch that with my students, whether they're five, I've watched it with 15 year olds because I've taught high school students and ones that are like fighting me. And I'm like, are you fighting the strategy? Like, are you just fighting, like not understanding that you can do this? You just haven't like you know, ironed in those neural pathways enough Mm. and we need to do it like 30 more times, but it's not going to feel easy. That's not learning. And so we have those conversations and then they have other series like about respect and other social emotional things. And then the one that I love, because I feel like it happens to so many children when they're learning how to read is the, um, I think it's called positive stories. I don't know, but basically Mm when children have this negative self-talk, right? They're telling themselves things that are not true. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, I should be able to not sound things out. I'm like, no, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And it takes most people at least three years to learn how to read in school. You should be sounding out all three of those years. I don't think that's true. And I think you're mm-hmm. telling yourself a false story because you see someone else not sounding things out. So we have those conversations, but I think like you hit like the two priorities right on the money. Like that's exactly what I have to teach half the time before we can get too far into any academic instruction. Like I I just started with a new student last night and she was like halfway to tears 15 minutes in. So we went to the growth mindset video and I said, we need to talk about this. I can't teach you reading anymore. I got to talk to you about your brain because I think you're saying negative things about your brain to yourself. You're not telling me, but I think because you're crying that you're saying that this is too hard for you or, you know, whatever she was saying. Sort of Mm. cutie pie. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, like, you know, I feel that. I feel that 100% and I try to put that into action, but I think, you know, like all humans, I forget that lesson, you know, and sometimes get frustrated. Why aren't you getting it? And I'm like, oh, it's not the academic thing. It's Mm -hmm. you not understanding how your brain works or you not being able to manage your emotions when you get frustrated because that's going to happen. Yes. Yes. You know, and I love love that. that. And And what's so interesting interesting is now that that I I am a children's author, author, right? right? And I've got the child development background and the early childhood education background. It's so cool how I bring all these things together. And this is what I, what I mean by this brain development. 
So often so I feel like in my picture books and things, I try to incorporate what, what I learned in the field of ECE called disguised learning. Like I try to put something in my books in addition to, in addition to the narrative or the story, but something else in there that the child is learning. So I think about like my, um, where in the garden series, it's a really simple conflict. Can we find the pumpkins before the party? But I, but I introduce, introduce a range, a range of, produce, of produce, some of them some familiar, familiar, right, that mm-hmm. most children have seen, some, some unfamiliar, unfamiliar, which then introduces them to new vocabulary for produce that maybe they've never seen, mm-hmm. might pique might their interest, might, might want them to want try them this try new this thing, food. okra, what's that, kumquat, I don't know what that is, mm-hmm. can we taste that? So then so there's then this like disguised like learning that is incorporated into my books. Like I really try to do that. Um, I try to do it with language too. Like my book, The Baby's Asleep, is automatopoeia. It's sound words. And so the child doesn't even realize this, but later we can talk about well, what are sound words? This is automatopoeia. And then for the social emotional piece, I, um, I have that embedded in a lot of places, but there's a there are there's a series of my books that I'm incredibly intentional about that and this these are my love puppies they're early chapter books so they're really for independent readers um so like k through third and it's about this team of magical puppies who help human children navigate difficult social situations so like book 1 is about making friends but what I did is like I did research on like what does a child need to do to make friends and so, so I incorporate I these strategies in the story. So the puppies are trying out all these different things that are actual strategies you can use to make a new friend. And so while they're doing these things, they're puppies, like they don't know better. And so they're failing and failing, but eventually it's like they put the child in line to then solve the problem themselves. But my reader has just been introduced to at least two or three different strategies of if I'm shy and I don't know how to make a friend, what are some things I could do? And so book one is about friends, making friends. Book two is about coping with grief. Book three is about sportsmanship and teamwork. Book four is about growth mindset and confidence. And then book five is about coping with a brand new sibling. And, um, and book six is about bullying. So within each of these, again, it's that social emotional piece. Like here are some things that you can do that might help you if you were in a similar situation or if you were having a hard time coping with a loss. Um, so that's me again as the author, but then also like the child development professor who can never shut it off. How can I teach you? I love that. <laughs> My daughter and I were just talking about like how we need to do that for all books. And I told Mm -hmm. her, think about stories and where they came from, right? Like we told stories in the beginning, Mm -hmm. obviously to entertain. We were bored. There's no TV. She's like, no cell phones. No, I was like, girl, there's nothing. (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) Right. You had to make your own dolls. They had stories to entertain, but also to teach, right? Like to teach like all those fables you like. She likes reading fables and folk tales with me. All of those were teach teaching things. These stories too, because she's like, I hate when you ask me what I learned, and I'm like, but those stories have lessons in them. They do. Um, and so 
I loved your, I fell in love with your books. Um, I, we have to check out the chapter book series. I have not checked that out. Now that my child's reading chapter books, we can do that. Yeah. Um, but I fell in love with the garden series because I'm a gardener. And I was like, ooh, looking for gardener books. And I found that one. And we got all three of them. And um, I had to buy another set because it was like a reward or an award or a promotion thing. And my child had read them all. And I was like, you, you ripped some pages though. So I have to buy you. But she, she did exactly what you described. She recognized the ones from the garden that we grew. Right. Mm. And then she was like, oh, what's this one? And we looked Mm -hmm. that one up. And so it, it's books are such a source of learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that you know, you do it in a very intentional way. I, th- I think most authors are doing some kind of lesson teaching, right? Like some kind of, re- it's relatable enough that you can relate it to real life, hopefully, and, um, you know, learn a lesson from it. But I think that when you have an author that kind of does that for parents on purpose, it makes it easier to read those type of books. Because um, sometimes mm-hmm. the books are just like, this was pure silliness entertainment for this child. Like, I guess I can talk about like the structure of the illustrations, but I don't want to point out any authors because I'm not trying to rag on them, but there's just some that like leave like the spelling errors in there. And I'm like, I know. Yeah. I don't like that one. What was the attention of that? Like I, normalized spelling errors I don't know if I like that (laughs) but um but there are other things in those stories that you know I try to celebrate with my child because she likes those books she likes the silliness and I I want to share too too. and one of the books I think it's number two Miguel's uh, community garden there were artichokes in there and so I'm reading the story with my own daughter and she's like you know she's listening well we were in the grocery store and she's like mommy artichokes and I was like yeah you want to try them and so I bought artichokes had to look up a recipe on how to make artichokes because you know it's a whole process and now she and I are like in love with artichokes but that conversation from the book and her being able to then identify it in real life I was like okay this works on my own daughter too you know um so you're, you're right. right. The books are, they're jewels in that way that there's so much you can do with them, especially if you're intentional. There's the surface things you can do, but there's more that you can do. Um, and all of this to me is again, building warm, positive associations around literacy. Right. So thinking about it and, oh, I like when me and mommy look at the, you know, produce and we, we, um, identify them together. Like all of that is again, starting to build this like happiness and warmth and love around literacy. Yeah. I think that's really valuable to say that because I had, I had a lot of family members in my life that contributed to my love of literacy, but sometimes mm-hmm. I felt like they did it in harsh ways, which if I didn't already just deeply love it, like it would have made me run away, whether it was sure. like, I had an aunt who told me she took us to the library every week. So that was Mm -hmm. developing my love of literacy. Right. But then she made me look for two books with a medal on it because that was her only way of knowing they were quality books. Quality. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, but I just want to read Babysitter's Club and The Littles. <laughs> like, I just want to read these silly series. Mm-hmm. Um, and so knowing that 
like what we do with our children um, can leave a sour taste in their mouth about literacy. Um, even when we have good intentions, she had the best intentions. Yeah. But obviously, I'm still telling this story and feel a little resentment, right? right. <laughs> I just I wanted to it. read what I, I wanted to it. read. And my dad, on the other hand, he would give me books about Black excellence or what he thought was mm. Black excellence. Okay. Um, but I think you and I had talked about this a little bit where it was just like, but so much of it was about the harshness of our African-American history, not just, you know, Black history across the world, but like African-American history. Yep. And it's so much of it's violent yeah. and aggressive and, you know, not fair. Yeah. And yes. so I would start resenting that. Like, I don't want to read Roots, Dad, like, and then yep. make me watch it. That's the connection yep. that I didn't oh my want. Gosh, yes. It was like one or the other. Yes. <laughs> one or the other. I didn't need to compare those two, yep. talking about movies um, or shows to compare. Mm-hmm. But I think that being intentional, but being intentional yep. In thoughtful ways that think about there's a balance. There is a balance of learning your history. And sometimes the history Absolutely. is harsh, right? But also finding the joy yeah. and doing those joyful reading literacy activities with kids, as well as, you know, the meaningful, serious stuff. So, yeah. I, for I sure. You know, that. for me, it was the, it was the, my dad making me read Thurgood Marshall's biography. <laughs> I don't remember if it was autobiography or biography. biography. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. But I have an interesting, I love what you just shared about your aunts. And let me tell you what I was thinking thinking. though. Uh It goes back to sort of us being intentional as, you know, parents and adults in these kids' lives. If she had had the conversation with you that said, now I want you to understand, sometimes we have to read things that we're not interested in reading. Whoa. Sometimes. So, so get your get babysitter's, babysitter's club. club. That's, That's great. great. But this one, this one I want you I to read. There's an additional value to it. It's mm. got this metal. It's quality. So, so sometimes, sometimes we do have to have read to things that we don't love, but there's still something important in that book. So even so having that conversation with you, right? right? Like, like, because how often, how often as adults, adults do we got to do things we don't, we don't want to do, even though we're like, yeah, it's better if I do do this thing. So, so just even having that conversation, conversation may have shifted your paradigm just a little. Right? I agree. Like, okay, I hear you. I, I hear you, auntie. auntie. I'm going to read it. it. I'm not going to be happy about it, but I'm going to read it. But again, again just, it's, it's a, a life, life lesson. lesson. Right. It is. And I and I was that kid that would have heard that. I liked yeah. when adults had those serious talks with me. Oh, like, oh, you're, yeah. you're laying, oh, let me know. Why are we, why <laughs> am I doing this? Tell me mm-hmm. so I can tell everyone else. And then I'm actually connecting back to what you said in the beginning. Like if you could talk to parents about like just spending time with kids in meaningful ways. What if she didn't have to read the book? Just when we were at the library, before I returned the book, be like, what did you learn? Right. You know, like just ask me about because that did not happen. You know, and I'm sure she was busy. I don't remember what she would do when we were at the library. She didn't have a cell phone at the time. So I don't know. I don't know where she went. If she was just chatting. Took she a had the romance novels. She was like. <laughs> she was in yeah, the romance novel section. I don't know where she was. But yeah, no, I, I think we could have turned that around, right? Having that conversation in the beginning and or also just talking to me about these metal books because they were usually quality content, right? Like Mm. they were serious, but I didn't talk to anyone about it. I'd just be like, okay, finish that, you know, because I had integrity and I 
once in a while, she would ask me a question just to test to see if I was lying about finishing books. (laughs) Um, But like, um, I didn't feel like they were like serious discussions, right? Like where Mm. we were talking about the moral or character motivations or relating it back to real life. Um, And I think that would have made it more meaningful and actually a positive memory, right? Like something I'm like, oh, look what my aunt did with me. Um, So yeah, being intentional in so many different ways. But I have to say, oh, having this conversation makes me think of what you were talking about. Purpose of story, oral tradition, passing story on and on and on to next generations, right? But I think about your aunt and she did that thing. And what do, what do our parents generally want from us? They want us to do better. They want us to. So just from that, having you do this, go to this library, maybe she didn't hit that piece quite yet. But us just having this conversation right now and then maybe shining a light on it for your listeners and even for you reflecting too. That's us doing better. So now when you take your daughter and I take take my daughter daughter. and I'm like, this has a medal. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. We're doing better. And so later, hopefully they'll take those mess and do what they're going to do with their kids. And they do better and better and better. But I just love that. That felt like auntie's generational lessons. Exactly. Oh no, I knew she was being very intentional. She wasn't a person that didn't have like those serious conversations with us. Like we had family meetings and stuff. I remember. Love Um, it. Yeah. She was, she's like our matriarch. She's the oldest aunt in the Korean family. So she was our matriarch. So we had family meetings and she was in charge. Um, And I knew what she was doing was intentional. We always had conversation about education in general. Sure. <laughs> it was like those conversations. So I knew that reading fell under that umbrella. That's why we're going after church every Sunday. Um, but um, yeah, you're right. Now I am being more intentional with mm-hmm. books with my child. I am going to the library. I'm doing at the bare minimum what she did, right? Yeah, going to the yeah. library regularly. I try not to tell her to read books with medals or things, but I do try to choose books that I feel like are valuable knowing that I have to sometimes sell it for her. Like, I'm like, I'll yeah. read it to you. And then she's yeah. like, okay, someone's entertaining oh, me now. I love it. I you love know? it. That's great, though. Yeah. But oh, you're I got right. tingles are- from that that conversation. Thank you. For, I mean, just thank you for sharing that about, like, your your parents and your aunt. I just feel like that's such a valuable, valuable nugget, nugget of just, I don't know, information pull from, you know, your own life experience experience that absolutely can be applied in these ways to help others. So thank you for sharing that. These are just coming up though, because you're bringing out like the intentionality parents have to be and me recognizing Mm -hmm. that I have experienced that. And there's so many layers to being intentional. Um, And, but also just highlighting, you're right about the joy, finding that joy factor, finding that balance. Um, and then it's something that, you know, you can do with your child for a long time, too, I think. I think that, you know, maybe one day my child and I will be in a book club and she'll be a grown-up and we can have grown-up oh, conversations. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, I love that. I would love that. I'm going to drop that in her ear. <laughs> when she's eight. And then bring it back up when she's 28. I'm like, now that you've done all your schooling, you want to be in a book club with your mama? Remember 20 years ago when I mentioned that thing? I was serious. I was serious. Yeah. You want to do that? Um, Okay. 
Let's keep going with the questions. So we've talked about this a, a bunch in different ways, but what has your research and training on brain development taught you about the importance of early language? Is there anything else you want to talk about? Just to bring it home again, the importance of, I think of it as bathing the brain in language. Mm -hmm. And it's the language of your home. If it's, you know, if you speak Spanish or Tagalog or whatever, mm -hmm. bathing that brain in language um, is so important. And having meaningful interactions, face-to-face -face interactions. I'm not saying put that baby in front of, you know, a screen or something. Face-to-face -face interactions, allowing for them to go outside and have their senses be activated, smelling the air, listening to the, the wind, and then you verbalizing it. So I think it's just having those, those authentic, warm interactions and, um, and having conversations starting early and just building on that. To me, like, again, that's oral language that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because so much of, you know, later skills build on the oral language. So in other mm -hmm. words, say you have a child who has been around so much language and heard complex vocabulary. Maybe they haven't seen it yet, but the complex vocabulary. And so when they get to this word on a page and they have mm -hmm. meaningful, you know, skills that help them break it down, they're like, oh, I know that word. That means X. And so now you have a higher likelihood that they're going to comprehend what they just read, even if it's a multisyllabic word. Exactly. But that went back to because they had interactions with the parent around that big, long word. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I, th I think about my daughter, too, who she is um, in first grade. And I'm not trying to brag. I promise I'm not. Go ahead. Brag. brag, though. You can't <laughs> I'm, I'm well, welcome I, bragging parents. Yes. Tell me about your kids. I taught the child. I, I taught, taught the child how to read. And Yay. I am like, to me, that is my my biggest accomplishment. And of uh -huh. course, this is not to say that teachers and others had it, you know, helped with that piece. Right. And they offer additional strategies that right. maybe I don't have. But all of these things that I'm sharing. The talking about everything, mm -hmm. singing the alphabets, the mm -hmm. rhyming, the having her pay attention to rhyme at a young age, all those things. And now she's, you know, really some chapter books are too easy for her. And I'm almost like, okay, are we almost ready to move into? Because she is just a solid, strong reader. That's beautiful. Um, so, you know, but I also know that me and my husband bathed her brain and, language. and also not just us, my, my mother-in-law and bathed her brain in language from an early, early age. And so now she'll say stuff. And I'm looking at my six-year-old and I'm like, six or 16? Dang, let me look that word up. You sure? <laughs> so, so yeah, I, just to bring it back together, bring it back to this idea of bathing the brain in language to establish those strong neural networks. And that, sets, that helps us set the foundation for, for later literacy skills. Absolutely agree and think that um, I didn't have that visual. I love that visual. I'm like thinking of bathing my child yes. in language. But um, yeah, that's what I did. And I think that is absolutely a major factor, of course, mm. the actual, you know, strategies and effective reading skills yep. um, that helped her become a strong reader faster um, yep. is before she ever looked at letters, it's just narrating everything we did together. We're just, just narrating. And this is what I'm yep. doing now. And people are looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, yep. no, but how is she going <laughs> to learn that word if I don't say it to her all day, yes. every day? Yes. Um, 
So yeah, I yeah. I like that bathing your child in language. Yeah, and then finding fun little games. That's something I would do with her too. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here's the door. What says what says at the beginning of door? Right, we're talking about like onsets and rhymes. She don't know that I'm giving her a lesson in onsets and rhymes. We making a, a game. Okay, is there anything else you see that starts with the? you know just, just, just all those are the things and then again i keep coming back to this building those positive warm associations as someone who does not like math and i'm not trying to throw math under the bus i promise i feel like this applies to math too so many of us have those negative associations with math about like i can't do this this is too hard and now don't want to touch math with like a you know a 10-foot pole it again goes back to this is another example of how do we make them these meaningful warm interactions with math i feel like in some cases sometimes it feels like it's easier to do it with literacy and that's why we're talking about it here but really this can apply to all you know uh, all academic areas and content areas building those warm foundations around them um so it doesn't feel punitive or like you got this wrong no you already have that warm memory with that. And that can also help with some of the resilience when you get to those harder things. Absolutely. I feel like as a parent and a teacher, I didn't realize how much of it was cheerleading. And I wasn't a cheerleader as a young person. I didn't, I wasn't in that crowd. So I was like, wow. And my daughter would be like, can you say it louder? Like she legit would tell me to say it loud. And I'd be like, She'd be like, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> that's I'll, do, better, th- I'll do that for you again now, now that you've rewarded me appropriately with, you know, some praise. Um, but yeah, I think that that warm feeling, and I tutor in math as well, but um, I have this one student who I'm literally her math tutor, but she's like, I'm got it. I got it. And then her grade one day just dropped. And I was like, what happened? She's like, I have some missing assignments I didn't tell you about. I was like, but, but I'm here to help you. Like, but she was scared. She had, she's a teenager. She had all these years of this negative association with math, negative association with asking for help. So now half of our lesson and I tell her, I I know what I'm doing. Okay. But she giggles and laughs now. I am just (laughs) praising her out the yin yang. I'm like, Oh my God. And I do it Lily style, my, like my daughters, yeah. I do it loud and proud. That was amazing. I cannot believe you just remember that step. And she giggles and laughs, but like, that's how we're able to get through it because, um, she had the opposite feeling. Right. Um, and now that I'm bringing that back to the table, she wants to try it with me, but I think it's very important to keep that in mind. Even when we as parents or teachers get frustrated with any lack of progress of our student learning anything, um, try <laughs> to keep our cool, yeah. right? Yeah. And and figure out ways to um, celebrate something with, for that child. Absolutely. But yeah, I think I was the math person too. I, I did not like math. <laughs> I, was a, I was a bookworm. I was like, Same. I'm a bookworm. Yep. So, I wasn't even that. I was just, oh, like, just like, let me write a story about myself. Okay, You're, a writer. You're a writer. Yeah. You're a writer. So do you remember learning how to read, Janae? Do you remember learning? I do remember aspects of it. I remember Hooked on Phonics. Do you remember that? It was a bit- I remember the name I- and hearing it everywhere, but I didn't benefit from that. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so 
when I was younger, I would also say a lot of what pulled me into early childhood education is my aunt Nettie. So my aunt Nettie had a daycare and I went to that daycare. And when I was a teenager, I also got to like volunteer at the daycare, which was probably her just watching me and pretending like I was helping. Anyway, I bring that up because she got me excited about child development before I even realized that was a thing. But I remember doing circle time with her and she would have the hooked on phonics and she would put in the cassette tape and she would have the cards and you would be, hey, ah, apple. Like I remember, and so you know, talking about like phonics and uh, tying the sounds sounds to the actual visual of the all of that stuff. So that I remember. Um, That's That's the the most most vivid memory that I have tied to learning to read. Um, Yeah, that's that's the main one that I can just sort of pull. Hooked on phonics is still benefiting children across the world. <laughs> They're still doing good things. Um, yeah. And you're not the first adult that I've taught, uh, talked to, you know, through this podcast that has brought hooked up, hooked on phonics up, mm-hmm. um, and saying that 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 it was effective. It was effective. Yeah. And I remember people. Um, by the time I guess, you know, people would trash talk. You know, like that was a thing in middle school. Like, yeah. All kids go through it. Um, I remember that being like a a thing people made fun of. And now I'm like, why? It worked. <laughs> like, why yeah. were people making? I don't understand why people were trash talking Hooked on Phonics or like you learned from Hooked on. Like it was like a way to, you know, trash talk your friend or enemy or something. Right. So I'm right. just like trying to make understanding. Yeah, but they would throw shade with Hooked on Phonics. But I'm like... As an adult, I'm saying this stuff was good. Yeah. I'm hearing so many people say that. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. All right. So you said you're a parent. Um, How have you approached reading instruction at home? You you send them to school. So you've gotten support. You said that way. But what what did you do? You said sound games. Oh, yes. Uh, Read to her every night. It was habitual. Like Mm -hmm. she now comes to expect bedtime story uh-huh. um and so like even to this day we're reading um oh what's it i can't remember it's grace lynn's book so do you know where the mountain meets the moon Mm-mm. oh it's that one is like one of my favorites oh, where the okay. mountain meets the moon All by right. grace lynn okay and so we're reading the second one which i can't remember off the top of my head what it's called and so every night i lay in her bed and reread the story and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Sometimes I'll ask, okay, what happened? Or we might make predictions. So all of these things that I'm, I feel like I'm preaching here, right? Yeah. Are the things that I did with her, bathing her brain in language, getting her excited about it, singing songs. We were always singing songs. We were making rhymes. Now here's the funny part. Now it gets to the point where I just make silly songs. Just, I can't help myself. That's just me. And so I'll make like a silly song with a line and then she'll return at her own line that then rhymes. And then I'll add to it and add my next line that rhymes. And then she'll we'll riff off each other. And I mean, often it's nonsensical and ridiculous, but to me, like, so we have made, again, just like this practice of playing with language and loving language and being silly with language and applying it in different ways. And um, 
nowadays, some things that I talk about her, because now, you know, we're getting to more complex um, aspects tied to, mm-hmm. to literacy. So just yesterday, she was telling me about Cinderella. She was retelling the story she's learning in, in school. And I always say when we talk about stories now, I say, well, what are the elements of stories? Mm. Can you tell me what every story should have to make yeah. it a story? And, and she, she was like, like, it should have a character, mommy, and, and it, should it should have a setting. And, and I was like, yes, yes, it's sinking in. So I guess what I'm saying is, again, being intentional, having conversations about literacy. So it almost feels like, what is it? Meta, meta language, meta literacy, mm-hmm. uh, discussions about literacy. Um, she has to read chapters each night, like her teacher suggested, but we've always, I've always done this. We read. And as she became more of an independent reader, now I asked for at least like a chapter. Mm-hmm. a night and then we'll talk about it and often she's reading aloud so mm. she's practicing that part too um and then i also try to have her write sentences and the sentences like the purpose of the sentences might vary it might be like tell me about your day today so mm-hmm. she'll write five sentences tell me about her day or okay write a short story or mm-hmm. let's write a letter to grandpa so various you know purposes of writing we'll do some of that um yeah, and th- those are the things that we're working on right now tied to literacy. And I think my next move, because she loves science so much, that now I'm going to be like, all right, some of the purposes that I have her using her literacy skills for, I think I'm going to try to tie it to science to get her, because it's an interest of hers anyway. Right. So maybe like an observation journal or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that she can be using these and not even think about using them, but she's so into the science part that she's, she's practicing these literacy skills. I love that. That's what I want. And I imagine if my dream came true and every parent listened to this podcast or just <laughs> existed like this, this is my dream. Like all parents being that intentional. And I love that what you're saying like right now, you're just brainstorming out loud. Like it doesn't have to be like this crazy, like specific lesson plan that you document on a piece of paper. Like it can be like, I'm just talking to myself. Oh, she likes science. I need her to write some more. I want to work on her writing skills. Maybe I'll have her do an observation journal, get a notebook (laughs) out of my office that's half filled, put observation journal on it. Uh And then next time we're out in nature, have her observe move forward. Um, Uh It doesn't have to be, you know, even completed all in one day, right? Like that could take a whole week for you to put that, you know, routine into place and ask her input, change it up. Exactly. You might find, okay, she didn't love this. It didn't work. Pivot. Like it's okay to not get it right every time. Pivot. But that makes me, that goes back to what I think about for early childhood education. Something we would always talk about is it's called emergent curriculum. Mm-hmm. Like you have your ideas of the standards and things that mm-hmm. you need to address, but you go to the children to figure out what their interests are. Mm-hmm. And then you creatively pull in those other pieces. Mm-hmm. So I think about that for her, like, what are her interests? What are those things that she likes? That's a starting point for me. Mm-hmm. And then again, with the intentionality, okay, you like science. I need to work on your literacy. Boom. Tie the two together. Yeah. So. I love yeah. that. And as a child who already goes to school, it's like yeah. she's already doing that 
other very formal academic stuff, you don't need to yeah. replicate what teachers are doing. And I yeah. sometimes feel like parents that I've talked to are like, well, I need a lesson plan. I said, of what? But like, <laughs> lesson plan? Your one child? Like, if she doesn't yeah. want to do it, you can pivot. The lesson yeah. plan was half the time to so other people that we were doing our jobs. Okay. <laughs> um, we already had the plan. We just had to write it down so someone else could see it. Um, but yeah, I love that. I, I do a lot of similar things as a homeschool parent, um, as even trained as an educator. I do a lot of, some people might call it unschooling, but I think this is schooling, right? Like schooling doesn't have to be, schooling is just like a formal structure for us to put upon our children's education. They're learning, right? It's just learning that's happening yeah. in yeah. Um, a home setting versus a school building. Um, but the learning can happen anywhere. It can happen on an observation nature walk when your child's, yeah. you know, just taking notes in the grocery store. Yeah. Um, you and know, it should happen anywhere. Should. It should happen everywhere. It should. Exactly. Yeah. It should. Like we, and this is something I say all the time. And I really feel like, you know, I don't know, maybe I just sound preachy like you were saying I'm not trying to be preachy but I I really feel like this is based off my experience this is based Mm. off what I hear a lot of experts say um this is based off my training as a teacher I was trained as a teacher that the most important factor to a child's successful learning outcomes right like is really the human the human Mm. guiding them right the teacher Mm. guiding them and I'm like well us parents we are the ultimate guides. We are with them all day. We can pull mm-hmm. them out of that school and decide that that teacher is not good for our child and mm-hmm. move them somewhere else. So we are the ultimate guide for our children. And and we're the first teacher. First. We're the first one they have. First. Yeah. They already learned so much from us before they're sent off to school or before you mm-hmm. attempt academic formal learning. Mm-hmm. So exactly. yeah, I think that parents should feel empowered to know that they are their child's first, most important teacher. um, And that teaching is not something that has to happen in a formal school building. Um, And hopefully they will look to your books um, as a resource to teach. Um, So what is your newest book or project that you're working on that you want to tell us about? Oh, I have so many. So I actually have seven books coming out next year. Okay, tell us. One of them um, um, I'm super excited about because it just got a star from Kirkus, which is like a huge deal. Ooh, so congratulations. It's called, thank you. It's called Jam 2. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's automatopoeic, um, but it's about a drum circle forming on the beach. And that's all I'm going to tell you. So you have to get it when you, when it comes out. Okay. But actually this, this weekend. So I don't know if you, you know, I make these fun little videos called cooking with Janae. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So oh, I, I did it for all my, we in the garden books, but all of those have published. So I'm expanding. And so this weekend I'm shooting one for jam too. It's still cooking with Janae, but instead of cooking up a recipe, we're going to be cooking up some beets. And I'm super excited about it. Oh my <laughs> so God. That's, that's one that's coming out in uh, February. Okay. I also have pre-ordering a, it tonight. another love puppies coming out. That This is the one about siblings having a, um, uh, having 
to cope with siblings. It's called Changing Tunes. And that one comes out, I think that comes out like January 2nd. So right at the top of the new year. Um, I have another one coming out that I'm excited about. It's a retelling. It's called Mahogany, A Little Red Riding Hood Tale. And so it's about, I wrote a, a retelling using a Black character, Black protagonist. So Red Riding Hood, her name is Mahogany, right? Brown, red, mixed together. Boom. Oh, I like that. <laughs> oh, I was so, wondering so, about yeah. the title. I was like, hmm, Mahogany. what's that about? Mm-hmm. That's why, yeah. So that one's fun. Um, yeah. And then I I got to write Wizard of Oz, like they're calling it the official Wizard of Oz picture book. And so that comes out next year too. And the artwork is just lovely. So, so I got like a lot coming out. <laughs> yeah, it came out super. I, I really like that one. So so I got a bunch. I, there's also a poetry anthology coming out that I have a poem in. So, I mean, you asked for one project, but I'm like, I got this, 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 this and that. <laughs> yeah, I'm so. so excited for you. Okay, I pretty much want to get all of those books. <laughs> I'm like, uh, it's the Wizard of Oz one. Oh my goodness, that is one of my favorite stories. I have no idea why. It's just so, so much meaning built into the magicalness of it, right? And the magicalness of it is fun and weird and crazy, awesome. Um, so I can't, fun. yeah. So I can't, I can't imagine how you turned it around and did your own right crazy weird well, thing. Th- this one's a just, it's a typical retelling. Oh, so it's, it's interesting book. because, yeah, because um, what is it? Warner Brothers, they have to okay every oh. aspect of it. So it's just, it's not a retelling the way Mahogany is. It's just the telling of the story. Okay. Uh, but I did forget one. I have another. So you said oh. you're a gardener. Yes. I had the, another book and it's called um, Here Are the Seeds. And it's a, um, like a cumulative tale about this. Oh. It's, it is so cute. The illustrations are so cute, but it's a cumulative tale about. Uh, That's one of your math like, books, books, right? This one is not. No, it's, not it's, a math uh, it's, but it's STEM in the, the sense that it's, like life cycle okay, or, uh, or planting a plan and then each of these things happening. And it has some nonfiction content as well. So lots of fun books coming out. And I, I also have a free newsletter Okay, for anyone who's interested in subscribing, a free newsletter. If you go to my website and you scroll all the way down mm-hmm. to the bottom on the homepage, then you just subscribe. And actually I'm doing a giveaway. Oh yeah. I think. Until basically the last day of November. So I don't know. If this will air this after is... that, but oh, well, I'm going gonna... to do others. Okay. I'm going to do other giveaways, yeah, so but this one is up. for, it's for an Amaris farm, um, a signed Amaris farm book and uh, oh, an apron. Yes, an apron. I remember the aprons. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. All those books sound so amazing. And I, I can just think of so many different ways to, be intentional with those type of books. Um, all right. So last question. Thank you so much for your time, Janae. This has been so informative to me and inspiring. And I've just, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm so glad we got to chat. This has been the um, I have one more question Thank for you. you. Yes, please. What is your favorite children's book currently? Mm. And let me take out one that you wrote. Let's just take that one out because that makes it hard, easier, hopefully, right? Yeah. 
I feel like I already told you. I feel it's like I um, where you. the mountain meets the moon. I just that. Oh yeah. Just Grace Lynn. Tell us more about illustrates it. it too. I just love it. It's it's written. It feels like um, you know, we were talking about sort of traditional literature, like fables and that kind of stuff. It just has a sort of folktale feel to me. Um, and I just, I love it. It's got like magic that's tied into it, and the little girl is setting out on this journey to try to basically save her family um, and their situation. Oh, and wow. it's just, oh, it's just beautifully written. It's beautifully illustrated. Um, it's not illustrated all the way through. It just has a few. Um, I think it takes place in China. Interesting. But I just, it's called Where the Mountain Meets the Moon. If It was a, it won one of those awards. You know, we were talking about the awards before. I think it was a Newberry Honor. So it was a Newberry Award Honor winner, and it's just beautiful. So I, I um, recommend that one often because I just love it. And me and Vivi read it, and Vivi's my daughter, sorry. Uh-huh. She thoroughly enjoyed it. So that's one of my top books. Do you right guys now. read that sometimes? Well, we're, so we're on to number two right now. Okay. We're doing number two, and then there's a third. And so we'll read all three of those. Um, but yeah, I like that one. And, look how it's making uh, you smile. <laughs> yeah, I just love it. It's so good. And then like Kwame Alexander's work, I always got to give a shout out to him because he's fabulous. Like The Undefeated, that was He gets was a kind of one. meta in his stories, right? Like his, yeah. some of his stories are very meta. And I'm like, oh, you asking kids to think deeply. And mm-hmm. even the style of his artwork can, if you look carefully, right? It's so layered. Yeah. Uh, I tell him all the time. I'm like, oh, man, you're hot. Hashtag goals. Him and um, Jacqueline Woodson. I'm like, hashtag goals right there. Wait, Jacqueline Woodson from my childhood? Oh, yeah. She's, she's you know, still she's writing. So many, oh, okay. oh, my goodness. So many books. She's actually expanded into adult books, too. Oh, she's just. I got to see her for a second at, I was in Ohio for NCTE. Uh, you know, I think I saw you went there. I didn't know about it until you went there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, she was walking past with an editor, with my editor for Jam 2. And I was like, ah, I got to like give them both hugs. Okay, see you later. Because she's like, she's children's literature royalty. Right, <laughs> right. Her and Kwame, they just, yeah, hashtag yeah. Those. And Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Kwame Exelander was making books. I wasn't familiar with his work until recently, but. I remember reading Jacqueline Woodson. So like, that's awesome. She's that's still cool. at it. And that's doing so cool. Stuff. Um, all right. Well, I want to close it out here, but again, thank you, Janae, for your time. Um, all these amazing nuggets that I think parents, um, need to hear and maybe, um, will push them to do things a little differently or validate what they're already doing. Um, and we can see this, your purpose, my mission, we can see this happening more and more for um, families and yes, and these days. I love it. Being intentional in the things we do with our children and building those solid foundations. I love it. Thank you for listening, parents. The purpose of this podcast is to ensure 
you have a place to ask early reading questions, big or small. Every family story is valid, so please reach out if you want to share your early reading journey with us. Use the form link in the podcast description or contact me via social media. Until the next chat, happy reading, fams.